his name. He's an amazing God, isn't he? Ah, it's so awesome that God allows us to get together to worship him and celebrate who he is. He's so faithful. We're not a perfect church or perfect people. We are here because we know we need God's help and that help he has provided to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so church, as we embrace that, let's embrace it fully. God has something amazing for us today. I hope you're ready. I am. I'm ready to hear it from him. I want to know it. I want to experience it. I want the fullness of all that God has for me. I want you to know that God is up to some stuff here, and he is up to some stuff right here inside this guy. It's crazy what God is doing to me. He's just racking me and just calling me and challenging me in so many ways, and uh, I'm just blessed to be able to serve him. I'm blessed to be your pastor. Thank you for allowing me to do that, and if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We are just normal people that need Jesus big time, and so if we look a little abnormal to you, you should have seen us before. <laughs> This is God's work right here, so you know, he's got a long way to go, but anyway, we're glad you're here. We welcome you. God's doing some really cool stuff, and I want to just share with you from my heart what God's laid on me and share it with you as a direct challenge of what you want to do in your response to him as your creator. This is, um, these are incredible days. There's amazing moments, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of what he's doing. So did you spend some time with him in his word this week on your own, just like spending time in God's word, getting to know him better? Did you do that? Did you share God's story with anybody this week? Did you do that? Did you spend some time alone with God just to be with him? You know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Are you giving as God has asked you to give in your time, your talents, and your resources? All three of them. Are you doing that? Did you invite someone to church with you today? Yes. Are you doing what God has asked you to do in the great commission of each one of us going and making disciples? So we've put it in the phrase of each one reach one and teaching one. Are you doing that? Yes. So we ask these accountability questions every week, church, because we recognize through God's word that it's not just about me going to church. It's not just about me. It's about a relationship that's with God that begins at the moment that I say yes. When Jesus called us into this incredible relationship with himself through the Holy Spirit, he invited us into a life-changing moment that would transform us into who we were into somebody that he died to make. And therefore, in this journey of faith, which is Christianity, which is the life of the way, the believer, the Christ follower, whatever terminology you want to use, we were once sinners. We are now saved by the grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is working in our life transforming us and we're growing in our faith and so that's what's happening with us the accountability questions we ask you every week are asking us if you're engaging with God outside of church so the whole point of that is is that we're being the people Jesus died to make us now as I was driving through town remember I've been sharing with you this prayer of saving Tucson God that there would be a move of God happen where it impacts every level of Tucson, from the prisons to the homeless to elementary schools, middle schools, high school, university campgrounds, political arenas, court systems, you name it. That the Spirit of God is on the move in Tucson and people's lives are being changed by the power of the gospel as they say yes to Jesus. All right? Now I'm asking God for that, and that is so beyond my understanding or comprehension shame on me but that's my flesh but then when i read the scriptures to you last week that says to me that god is able more than able to do anything that we ask or think imagine 
He can do it. So then when I put that request into the presence of the creator of the universe, the one who's speaking stars into existence, the one who breathed into dust and it became a living soul, the one who created the little hummingbird to buzz around to the flowers and the blue whale to come over into the oceans, that God, when I put it into context of, hey, God, awaken Tucson to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, it changes the whole picture from the littleness of Dave to the greatness of God, and that's where it belongs. In the greatness of our God, in the power of the Almighty, and the fact that God can do above and above, beyond anything we could ask or think. So I'm driving down 22nd, and I come to that huge intersection at Wilmot and 22nd, all spread out. And I'm looking around at the cars, and I look over at the city. And I'm looking at all these people that don't have a clue who I am, and I don't know who they are. And I'm looking at the traffic jam and all the people that were there in that intersection. And this very thing I'm praying and asking God about hit me really strong. It's like, God, these are the people. You died for them. Don't even know who they are, but you do. You know them personally and intimately. You're pursuing them. Those that don't know you, you want them to know you. And you're asking me <laughs> to let them know who you are. And I'm like, God, like that is so beyond me. They don't give a rip who I am. They just want me out of their way. They don't care if I have something to say to them. God, help us. Let this become a reality. Give me faith that goes beyond that little mustard seed that says, God, move it. God, do it. God, you are God, and you can do this. And so as I'm praying and engaging God, and he's opening my heart to see these things that are out there in front of me every single day, church, I want to challenge you with something that God is challenging me with, and he is asking us. I don't care about I do care. Don't, I, sometimes I speak bad, you know, context, uh, but the truth is there, so just stay with me. I don't care about what any other church is doing. I don't. I hope that they're preaching Jesus and they're on fire for God. Great. I don't care. What I do care about is what God's asking me to do with you right here in this place. So what I care about right here is this, that we know what God says, that we own what Jesus has called us to, that we're living that truth and that we're sharing that truth with the world around us, okay? I already know I have to give account. The Word of God says it very clearly to me. I understand the incredible thing that I'm trying to do today is to reveal this Creator in new, profound truths of who He is in the simplest of fashions so that our lives together might change and make a difference for the glory of God. I'm going to have to give account for that. I want you to know you're going to give an account as well. You are, and I am. We are both going to answer to God, not just if we said yes to Jesus, but what we've done with our life afterwards. I want you to know, church, that God has a call on your life. The church has messed up a lot of things throughout its time. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love it, and he's not working through it. He's always working through the brokenness of who we are to reveal the power of who he is. So I am not condemning the church. I'm not saying they're all bad out there. You need to come to this one. Not at all. I'm saying we've got to get it together as the church of Jesus Christ by what the word of God tells us. And we need to start living that truth no matter what church we go to. So church, the thing is, is you're here today. <laughs> and this is God's truth you're going to hear. 
I'll challenge anybody that wants to debate me on it afterwards, anytime. Not because I'm confident in who I am or what I'm saying. We're going to talk about the gospel. And the gospel is irrebukable. It's God's word. And so church, I want you to know you have a call on your life. We've sold you short on that. The church has called clergy. They've called missionaries. They've called evangelists. We, not they, we have separated and we call the church I hate this term they call the people that attend church laity and then there's clergy so there's this dividing line of those that attend and those who serve and the fact of the matter is in the word of God is that we are all called to serve together as the body of Christ as we serve him in unity and so there is no separation between you and I I just have a call to a distinct place of being the pastor leader prophetic voice in this community that's all but together we're going to work together to accomplish God's call as the body of Christ in this community in doing so I want you to know that today God is asking me to commission you as the ministers of the gospel that Jesus died to make you maybe no one's ever laid their hands on you and sent you out they've done that to me as a as an ordained elder of the church where the elders get together in a ceremony once you meet certain criteria and they lay their hands on you and they pray that God would ordain you as a elder of the church and a preacher of the gospel. I want you to know that that authority that has been given to me by God through humanity in the church is actually a biblical practice that needs to be extended to the community of believers. As I look into the word of God, before we are done today, your commissioning will take place as we embrace the call of God on our life. And so as we do, church, we have been sharing several scriptures with you over forever. I've been your pastor for 14 years almost. I guess I have been 14 plus years now. And I've been sharing these verses with you for the past 14 years. And you haven't heard them enough. So you're going to hear them again today. Because they are God's truth and they are something that we need to own the fullness of as we look into the word of God. And it is something that God wants you to know that he is calling you as a minister of the gospel. And we already know the scriptures and what they say. If you don't know what the scriptures say to you, I want to share them with you today. There's three sections of verses that are about the commissioning of the followers of Christ. And the first one had to do with the full community of believers or soon to be believers that Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And when we read these scriptures in Matthew 5, I read them a few weeks ago, I want you to hear what they say in the word of God to us. Jesus is speaking and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You can, make, can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. All right, we're going to continue reading, but I'm pausing here for a moment and sharing with you that I'm sorry for those of you that has to use fake salt because that stuff's nasty. You know it is. You had to get used to it to be able to tolerate it, to make it palatable so that you could eat it. But you do know this. Everybody here knows that when you add salt to anything, it's better if you add just enough. If you add too much, it becomes unpalatable. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. You are the flavoring of life. What Jesus wants us to know as believers is that God's intention is to shake us out on the earth 
that we might be a flavor, a spice of life, and make things better where we are. Don't be obnoxious and bold in who you are, because then it's too much and nobody wants it. But when you are just enough of God, just enough of Jesus, you should be the flavor of life. In other words, everywhere we are, church, we just share this with you, should be better because we're present. Okay. Are you? Does everybody else think so too? (laughs) All right. So what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus wants us to know that if we're not the flavor of life because of him, pretty much useless. Should be trampled under feet. Right? Pretty strong stuff right there. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The Word of God is telling us that we're supposed to be a flavor and we're supposed to stand out, but it shouldn't be an attraction to us. It should be an attraction to Him. That when people see us, they know God is up to something. And if they don't know who God is, they're going to ask you, what's up with you? And you'll have a chance to let them know it's God. That's the call of every believer. Jesus is preaching this to the masses, not to the apostles, not to only the disciples, not to only the upper gathering room. Church, Jesus is preaching this to the masses, and he is telling us that if we're a follower of Christ, if we're doing what God's asking us to do, we're supposed to be salt and light, right? Can we agree with that? It's the gospel. It's God's word. Can't deny it. It's his truth. Therefore, what in the world is going on in the church? So, as he teaches this, he's saying that not only are we supposed to be seen and flavorful, but when they do see us, it should glorify God. So your good deeds, your actions, your life, your life matters how you react at work, how you react at home. Your attitude matters. The way you treat your neighbors, the way you treat your spouse, the way you treat your kids and your grandkids, the way you treat the people at the coffee shop, the restaurants, your servers, their people matters. Church, they ought to see you and know that there is something different about you than anyone else in the world and it's all about Jesus, and they ought to see God in you. And if they're not, then something's wrong with the church. We're supposed to be followers of Christ. And if we're followers of Christ, he says, this is what you look like. Is it happening? I mean, I don't know if it is or not. You do. You live out there. I don't follow you around. Is it happening? Do people know God because of you? Do they see God in you? Do they know that you are Good to be around. Now, this great commission. Here you go. Here's your commissioning. In Matthew 28, 18-20, tragedy is, is that in polls today, uh, many people that attend church have never even heard the great commission or the terminology or what that means. That's what's screwed up in the world. That's why I don't care about what other churches are doing. I get sick of reading all the negative garbage. Look, there's a bunch of garbage going on out there. I just want you to know. 
there's a lot of messed up churches. There's a lot of messed up people. We don't have to be that. If we own the gospel and we own the truth of what God says and we walk in this thing, we can make a difference for the glory of God and we can impact the city around us no matter what any other church is doing. I don't care what they're doing. Okay? Can you stop talking about what they are or aren't doing and what we are or aren't doing and start living your faith? I mean, that's all that matters, right? It's us living for Jesus outside the walls of this church. If we're not doing that, then we as a church have a problem. So we don't have to worry about them. The repentance needs to start here and then let God deal with them. Okay? So let's go forward. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, look, I've done this. I've won this victory for you. I've taken all this authority and power. You surrendered to the enemy. I got it all back. Therefore, now I'm commissioning you to go and make a difference in this world by sharing this good news with others, making new disciples, that's what he tells us, and teaching them what I'm saying. I'm going to go with you to do it. You're not going alone. I'm going with you. All right? So we already know these verses. Let's go to Acts 1.8, another commissioning verse. Jesus is there. He's already been engaging with the apostles and the disciples and the 120 that were gathering in the upper room, those that were faithful to him in the resurrection and all that stuff. And he's talking to him and he's about ready to ascend into heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we've read these verses over and over again. You're going to continue to hear them from me and you're going to keep reading them in the Bible. Because they are the commissioning verses that God is saying, you are called to the ministry. Church, you are called to the ministry. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been given a direct charge by your commander and leader that you are to go forth and be his witness in this world, that you are to minister to the people around you, sharing the good news of the gospel, and you are supposed to be out there making new disciples. You are therefore commissioned in the name of Jesus today to go forth and do the work of the kingdom and that's not the end so don't get up and leave <laughs> we've read these verses preached them we've heard them you've studied them in small groups you've read about them in your devotional lives and all that stuff so we all know what the Bible teaches us we know what we're supposed to be doing but few of us are actually doing it very few of us have ever made a disciple. Now, we, when we say this, and Jesus isn't like misspeaking himself, go and make disciples. God's the one that transforms lives. We know that he's the saver of people, but we are the tool he uses to reach them. And so very few people in their lives have ever led anyone into a saving faith of Jesus Christ. It's the facts. They're all over the place. You can find those obnoxious statistics everywhere. No one talks about Jesus. No one shares their faith. No one's evangelized anybody. Nobody's done it. I mean, you can find all that stuff. It's out there. Okay, I don't care about that. I mean, I do care about that. But I don't care about the statistics. What we have to see is what God is saying to us. And there's a lot of reasons why people don't share their faith. There's a reason why we don't talk about Jesus in places. So first off, we've bought into the lie of our culture that being politically correct is to be a person of the United States of America. And I want you to know, I don't care what country you live in, being politically correct is not a living by the gospel. 
when you live according to the gospel, you're going to offend some people. And when you speak the truth, live the truth, and you are the truth, you're going to offend some people. Okay, so I already know that what I'm going to say to you might offend somebody. I'm sorry you're offended, but I'm not sorry for what I'm about to say. You need to speak the truth and live the truth and be the truth so that people know there's a Savior. If we are just like the world and we're trying not to offend anybody, hoping they're okay and try and coddle them into their own comfort level, then church, they're on their way to hell without Jesus. And until the church wakes up and realizes people are going to hell every day and those people are our friends, our family, our neighbors, our kids, our grandkids that are going to hell if they don't know Jesus, until we wake up to that truth, nothing's going to change. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy how many people are in church that know the gospel that when someone in their family dies thinks they're going to heaven even though they don't know Jesus. I mean... Many of you have said it to me. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Like, when a person in your family dies, it's like, I think they know Jesus. Well, I, I think so. It's like, here, I'm going to be blunt with you. If you only think so, it's pretty unlikely they knew him. Assault, light. This is Jesus talking, right? Come on, let's be real. I mean, you're seen for who you are. You're a follower of Christ or you're not. Jesus said, you don't hide it. You let it out where the whole world can see it. Therefore, if your family, if you're like, I'm not sure, they're not. Let them know. They need Jesus. Come on. This is not a game. It's not like God's going to grade on a curve and say, well, you were in America. Oh, oh, you live in Tucson? Eh. Oh, well then, here's your level. Come on in. You're okay. Jesus is the standard. Church. Jesus is the standard. God's word declares that truth to us. Without him, you're not going. Well, what about what about it? Well, what if, what if? Let's talk to God about this. Let's let God be the judge and let us live the truth and let's let them know they're going to stand before that judge because the Holy Spirit has already shown us we were sinners, we repented, we're redeemed. We share that good news with others because we as redeemed know the Spirit of God convicts us of our own unrighteousness and our need of God, and the Spirit convicts me to tell me that I'm going to stand before God and give account. We've been studying this. It's in the Word of God. Church, unless we embrace the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no hope for Tucson, but guess what? There's also no hope for us unless we fully embrace the fullness of God's truth. Let's be real. Come on. So we're not sharing our faith. We're not talking about Jesus. We're not doing these things because we've been told in our society you can't. Oh, guess what? We have laws that say you can't talk about Jesus at work. You better not be preaching Jesus over there. You can't do that there. You can't do this. Okay, so let's just slow down for just a moment, right? So... Let me just ask you about your family. Dave's going to get a little bit of his own frustrations out right here for just a second, if that's okay. I'm just going to confess my frustrations with church people sometimes. People have unsaved family come to town, and I'm not even thinking of anyone in this room. I, this is, I've been a pastor for 32 years, and I've heard it way too many times. Yeah, we won't be in church next Sunday. My family's coming to town. I was like, 
Okay. Um, they don't go to church. Okay, leave them at home. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, I, I, I don't want to force my kids. It's like, wait a minute, do they want to go do algebra? Do they say, like, please send me to school? I want to know English. Please teach me history. Do any of your kids ask you that? No. Is there any debate? We just say, get up, you're going to school. But it's Sunday. Oh, you know, like, I don't want to force them because I had God shoved down my throat. Where are you? We're just being honest and blunt here with what Jesus is talking about, right? If we're going to be, then we're going to be. If we're not, we're not. It's not about their comfort level either. Your kids are going to be uncomfortable throughout their life, man. I don't ever want to be an adolescent again. Oh, good Lord. I'd go through any other place in my life except that stage. It sucks, all right? They need to know there's something beyond them, and it's Jesus. Whether they absorb it or not at that moment doesn't matter. They need to know there's hope outside of themselves because they're jacked up. Okay, enough of that. I believe that's truth, and I believe God's in that truth, but I want to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ that he's talking to us about as a church, as believers, when we say we're followers of Christ. Okay, so talk about sharing our faith, and there's always things that we can make excuses for. But um, let's just go on. I got to read this because to me it's like so simple, and it'll help us. I believe this is like God's just saying, Look, I'm, I love you guys. God loves you, and he's so incredibly amazing. He's so patient with us. And I really believe that God has given us this message in this context right here to say, come on, you guys, we can do this. It's that simple. So let's read what he says here. It's so cool. John the, the Baptist is preaching about the coming Savior. He's out there, like, baptizing people and saying, there's one coming. He's coming, preparing the way. And Jesus shows up. There he is. I love John. I love him. He's just like, man, you got to do this. He's coming. And when Jesus showed up, he's like, there he is. Go follow him. You don't need to follow me. Go follow him. It's all about Jesus. So let's read this about John right here. John chapter 1, and it's not about John, and it's all about Jesus. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. And as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's like, oh, okay, that's the, we're, we're going. All right. Jesus looked around and saw them following him. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, what you mean, teacher, where are you staying? Come and see. Isn't that awesome? I love that, man so simple it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day andrew simon peter's brother was one of these men who heard what john had said and followed jesus andrew went to find his brother simon and told him we have found the messiah which means christ then andrew brought simon to meet jesus looking intently at simon jesus said Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, found Philip, and he said to him, Come and follow me. 
Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than this. Church, I want to just look at this little interaction for a moment to bring some life challenges to me and you as we look at the gospel and think about us and what God's asked us to do. I want to look at the simplicity of these interactions. It's pretty amazing. John's all in. He's all in about this plan of God for his life. He's the pastor, the prophet that's speaking. It's all about Jesus. People are following him, but he's telling them the whole time, you're not supposed to follow me. There's one coming after me. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. That's John's, that's John's ministry. And then John says, there he is. Okay? So when John points him out, Andrew is like, I'm all in. I'm all in. He goes after Jesus. All right, I want you to hear this. Jesus didn't invite Andrew into relationship. Andrew said, where are you heading? <laughs> I'm going with you. Where are you staying? Then Jesus said, come and follow me. Come on, man, let's go check it out together, right? Okay, so Andrew is one of those aggressive guys. He's one of those that's like, yeah, I want to know more about this. I'm ready. Here I am. And Jesus is like, come on, here I am. He'll meet you no matter who you are, right? So I love this. Here's what, here's what Andrew does. He goes right to his brother, Peter. Peter, we found him. <laughs> the very Messiah. Church, here's what Andrew did. We found the Messiah. Come on. Come on, Peter. You got to meet him for yourself. He brought him to him. And then Jesus changes life. Do you realize that in that simple invitation, when Andrew said, come find him for yourself, I have met him. That our entire world has been changed. As Peter, who would later become the preacher at Pentecost and the head of the Jerusalem church, was simply invited into relationship with Jesus by his own brother. And Andrew did not preach a message to him. Did not quote a verse to him. Andrew went to Peter and said, I found him! Who have you told? Why have you not told your family? Why would you not go to your brother, to your sister, and say, I found Jesus! You need to meet him! Come on! If there's anyone you ought to be able to speak boldly to, it ought to be your own family. You've said a lot of stupid things to them in your life. Why not speak the truth to them once? Come on. We've fought over stupid things. We've wrestled with them. We live life together. We've gone through so much stuff. Why wouldn't you just go to them right up front? Why not? 
Why not? Church, have you, have you told the members of your family, I met Jesus, you need him? That's simple. That's simple. That truth right there. Okay, let's move on. Too much conviction, too much whatever. So here's what's going on next then. Uh, Philip, he's just like Jesus says, Philip, I'm all in, man. Philip jumps up and he's following Jesus, right? Philip went to look for Nathaniel, his friend. You notice it's not his brother? Pretty cool what God's showing us right here. Philip, I got to go find Nathaniel. This is what he says. We found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name was Jesus. So church, I want you to hear this. Even though he alluded to the Bible, he alluded to Moses and the prophets, neither of these guys quoted a, a scripture verse. They didn't talk about anything like Romans Road. It wasn't there yet. They didn't talk to him about joining a church. Didn't even bring up baptism yet. Do you find the simplicity of what's going on here? I've met Jesus. Man, you need to meet him. You need to meet this guy. You need to. This is the one. Do we really believe that Jesus is the one that Moses and the prophets wrote about? Do we really believe that this Jesus that we are called to serve and that we declare that we serve was born of a virgin, died on the cross, rose on the third day, ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. Do we really believe that stuff? Do we believe that's the gospel? If we believe that, church, why aren't we telling somebody? Somebody. So, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples the commands I've given you. I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Here's the church. Are you called to ministry? Are you called to missions? Are you called to do this? So if you're called to missions, you need to go somewhere overseas and tell people about Jesus. If you're called to the ministry, you need to start pastoring a church. If you're called to be an evangelist, you need to start having revivals around other buildings and stuff. And the truth of the matter is, is that the vast majority the vast majority of the people that God has called will never have to go to Africa, and I don't mean to have to. I'm saying you're not called to go overseas. You're not called to stand in front of a church and preach as a pastor. The vast majority of the call of God is that we would go and make disciples right here in our community. And you're not having to go somewhere else to do it. It's simply letting people know who Jesus is. Friends, family, the people you already have a relationship with, did you notice what happened there? They went to the people they had a relationship with and told them about Jesus. It's crazy. In the simple moments of sharing the gospel, we see nothing but an invitation to meet him. Just an invitation to meet him. Do you know Jesus? Would you like to know him if they don't? That simple, right? That simple. Okay. So what happened was natural because there was already relationship. But it was also intentional because the person that went to give the invitation intended on that other person knowing about the Jesus they had met. Okay? Not complex. Not difficult. I met Jesus. You need to meet him. Okay. So then as we travel through the commissioning, 
the challenges of these verses and what God's asked us to do as a church, let's look at how this was birthed in the New Testament church in the Bible itself in the book of Acts. Is, is what we read in Acts what's actually fleshed out from what we read in those scriptures that God said for us to be and do? And the best way for us to know that is just to follow the church in the book of Acts and see what was happening. And so when we see the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, we all know the story. When they were all gathered in the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They are filled by the Spirit of God. They get out of that upper room, go out in the streets. They preach Jesus as the Savior of the world, crucified, resurrected, coming again as the judge and the king. That's what they preached on that day. And a mass evangelistic revival breaks out where 3,000 people get saved. So we know that, that God moves in massive, repentant revivals, right? Evident. Right here in scriptures, we see that there are moments where God calls people in mass to repentance. And thank God for those moments. They're amazing. But I want you to know those moments, even in the Bible, are few and far between where masses come to faith. Okay? So a lot of times when we're praying for God to move like he did in Acts, we're looking for masses to repent and change. But when you read the context of Acts and you begin to see it, there's something quite different than that that takes place. As we see the Spirit of God moving in the church, we're going to read Acts 2. And as we read that section of Acts 2 at the conclusion where there is that moment of this great breakout of God's Spirit, we're going to be given like a snapshot of what started to happen in the church. So we're just going to read that together, starting in Acts 2.41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. Just, it's like, we gather together. I just wonder, like, aren't you in awe of God? I mean, a deep sense of awe. We're, we're just like, wow, you're amazing. God, you're amazing. Deep sense of awe fell over them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, snapshot, so that we don't get messed up, i got to give a little bit of a detail here and understand that this is like a, um, uh, like a paragraph about a lot of stuff going on. So a lot of times, like cults and crazy leader people that mistwist the scriptures have told people, oh, you need to all sell your homes, give away all your properties to me, and uh, come over here because, you know, God wants you to be part of this compound and we're all the same in this socialistic idea, and that's not what the Bible teaches at all, and that's not what he was saying. If you just keep reading in the book of Acts, you'll understand what it says. If you remember um, Ananias and Sapphira, when Peter's giving instruction to the church, and they sold a piece of property they had. So these people that were selling property were people that had investments and money and extra houses and things like that, right? So they sold those and brought the money to the church so that people's needs could be met. It wasn't that people were selling the houses they lived in 
and getting like I'm riding this horse to church today, sell it so you can have the money, and now I'm going to walk someplace. It's like, no, that's not what was happening, so don't get stupid, okay? What was happening there was people were meeting the needs of others by realizing that they had more than they needed to meet the needs of around those around them. That's what was taking place. That's the gospel, is meeting the needs of others, okay? So I don't want to get off on that. That's enough of that. Here's what I want us to see as we read. Again, please read in Scripture because the church is a crazy place, man. I just, I mean, we're, yeah. <laughs> Pastors are crazy. The leadership, it's just like nuts. And some people just like, I don't want to be a part of that. That church stuff is crazy. Okay, look, even if it's crazy, you're supposed to be part of that. You are. It's, it's clear in the Word of God. And the thing is, is you got to know that what's happening in that body that you're a part of is God's word happening. That doesn't mean it's a perfect church. That's why we say that. We're not, there isn't one. We're, we're seeking God so that we might become more of what he wants us to become, right? Okay, now, I want us to hear what the word of God says because there's this movement happening today that's gaining, gaining um, traction in the church communities about house churches and saying, oh, that's what it was in Acts. And I want you to know it's not, and that's not what the Bible teaches at all. They, they weren't house churches. Please hear me all the way through before you start drawing your conclusions, because we want to look at what God's Word says, not what we think or interpret it to say, but what does it say, right? I want you to hear exactly what the Word of God says. Okay, this is what the Word of God says. They met together in one place. I just read it to you. They met together in one place. Now, hear it all the way through, because when it's referencing they met together in one place, they were meeting together for a time of worship. But then life relationship and living the gospel happened in the houses. Please hear that correctly, because this is what we're being taught, and this is what we're going to see all through the book of Acts. What we're finding in the book of Acts is that the people would go home from the one place and they would associate not only with one another, but with their neighbors, the community people. They would have them over for dinner. They would talk about what God was doing in their life. Their neighbors, the people they lived around, were getting saved. It says so right there in the Word of God. And the church was growing because people were living their faith at their house. They were sharing the gospel with people living the faith. They were having dinner together. They were talking about God. Church, come on. This was happening right there in the scriptures, and that's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. We come together in the church today, and we barely talk about what God's doing amongst ourselves inside the church. We talk about everything else but God. I'm not telling you can't talk about other stuff. Totally fine talking about football if that's what you like. Outdoors if that's what you like. The weather if that's what you like. Not politics. You know, leave that alone. But, you know, like, just, like, it's okay to live life together and talk about stuff. But if we're people of God that have been redeemed by Jesus, I just think maybe... In the course of conversations, he ought to be talked about a little bit. Right? I mean, that's what they're saying. They were sharing life together, living together, having meals together. This is what Jesus said. You're supposed to 
teach these new disciples what I've commanded you. So that tells me I'm supposed to know something about my walk with God, and I'm supposed to share that with other people, right? So as we look at what was happening in Acts chapter 2, talking about the church, it says this, they devoted themselves to the teaching. Devoted themselves. I want to know what I'm supposed to live like. I want to know what God has to say to me. I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to know what I'm not supposed to be doing. I want to know the truth. I don't know about you, but that's pretty important. And it's important that you would share that truth with other people and that you would share in that truth together, okay? Fellowshipping together. So you're supposed to talk about other stuff, right? Fellowship is communing together. You're supposed to live life together. You're supposed to have time that we share with other people. They shared meals together, including the Lord's Supper, and then they prayed. So let's just think about this for a minute. You got friends that have, let's say you have teenagers. You have friends that have teenagers. Don't you think you both need some help? Don't you think it'd be good to talk about that? Don't you think it'd be great to pray about that? Guess what? Your friends that don't know Jesus, that have teenagers, I guarantee you they'd be welcoming you to pray for their kids. They would. And then they would also have this interest in why you're not freaked out about your kids, that you have this hope and this peace in God that he's going to take care of your kids even if they're being jacked up. Right? Come on, I'm, I'm saying it's like it's the natural thing that was happening. Your personal, spiritual disciplines of your life are critically important. You're knowing what God says, spending time with Him, spending time with other Christian people, your prayer life. All those things are incredibly important, and that's the only way you're going to have something to share with somebody. Okay? All right, so through regular relationships, through regular life, people began to see Jesus at work, and people wanted to follow Jesus themselves. And so while people were getting saved in the church, they were also getting saved outside the church. There should always be people to get saved at church. We've had people getting saved here. That's awesome. It's amazing. I'm so glad. But I want you to know that people should be being saved out there, and you should be bringing them and introducing them to me, which has happened, by the way. I'm just encouraging it to happen more. Like, here, this is one of my family members. They just said yes to Jesus, and that's awesome, and I wanted them to meet you, and I get to shake their hand and say, I haven't been baptized yet. We got one coming up on September 22nd. Let's get you baptized so that you can celebrate what God is doing in your life, right? On September 22nd, we have a one-church worship night coming through. Did you know that? It's in your little bulletin and your stuff, and where we just come together and love on God for a little while. That's all. Anyway, we can invite people to come to that and say, guess what? We're going to go to church tonight, and you don't have to listen to a preacher at all. We're just going to have music and sing and love on God. Maybe they'd come. I don't know. Uh, through the regular relationship with, with church and family, um, the normal activities of life, you're supposed to be salt and light, and, and people should see God through you, the good things that you're doing. So I'm just wondering at work, when you do stuff, are people seeing Jesus in you? When they listen to you talking, are they hearing Jesus in you? When you come home and you step through the door of your house and your family's there, are they seeing Jesus in you? Do you come into the room and are they glad you're there? I'm talking about family here. All right. I mean, if we're the salt and light, shouldn't they be glad we're there? We're supposed to be living in such a way that brings glory to God. And people should be getting saved regularly. Like normal regular stuff happening uh, okay so the church is growing and it's I, I want to say this to you here again about the church growing 
um, some people are like, you know, I don't like big churches. I don't like this. I don't, all right, I just flat out, it's not about you, so get over yourself. Secondly, if 3,000 people were saved and they were all meeting together in one place, that's a pretty big church. It's probably uncomfortable sometimes. Probably didn't get your seat all the time. Uh, I'm talking about in the first church, right? And then the next time when Dr. Luke records it, there's 5,000 men. They couldn't count the women and children. And then they, as the church continued to grow and impact uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, the Spirit of God's moving. There's people being saved daily, it says in the Word of God, like the church is growing beyond control, but they're still meeting in one place in Jerusalem. That was in the courts of the temple. If you read the, gospel, uh, the book of Acts, you'll see that. They assembled in the courtyard of the temple, and so these massive meetings were taking place. That's why the high priests got jealous, because they saw this massive church growing following Jesus Christ, and they didn't like it. <laughs> so here, let me just say this, that as we look at God's church growing, it ought to. I'm just saying it should be. There should be new people being saved and added to church all the time, and the church could, should continue to get bigger. Always. It should continue to get bigger. That's not about Dave. That's not about CFF. That's about what the gospel's all about. And, and I want you to know that no church is big enough if there's anyone unsaved in the city. Okay, so somebody's asking me, like, well, how big should a church be? I was like, when everybody's saved, we're done. Okay, I'm just telling you. That, so stop putting a size in your mind. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom of God, and it's about reaching lost people. So let's put that to rest, and let's move forward in what God's seeing right here. Because as the church was persecuted, because... For a season they had favor and then all of a sudden opposition rose up guess what united states of america we had a season of favor but opposition has risen up and there is an opposition to the gospel are we going to allow that opposition to shut our mouths or are we going to stand for the truth of the glory of god church it's all about jesus man i don't care what the government says what any institution says i don't care about any politicians or anybody else it's all about jesus all right, and we need to be able to know that. All right, now, what happened here in the, in the New Testament church is once the persecution rose up, it got so bad that people were being driven out of their houses and their houses were being taken from them. Some of them were put in prison. Some of them were put to death. Some of them were just pushed out into the streets, and so they had to leave Jerusalem and go to other countries. Guess where they went? Judea, Samaria the other parts of the earth that's where they went jesus said you're going to be my witnesses he didn't say how and as the gospel went out and it began to spread but i want you to hear what happened as the church began to be persecuted and pushed against not everybody left the city peter the rock <laughs> was the lead pastor of the church in jerusalem and he stayed there and he stood in the face of opposition and preached the gospel and he was the elder of the church, and the apostles looked to him as their leader. The apostle Paul went and met with Peter a couple different times. I say all this on purpose, church, because as the church was persecuted, Pastor Peter wrote them a couple letters, and they are the first and second books of Peter in the New Testament. So when you put in the context of what he was writing and who he was writing to, he was writing to people who had lost their homes, lost their jobs, lost all their finances, and they were out there having to restart their lives because they were following Jesus, okay? 
So these are the people he is writing to, and this is what he writes in the context of chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to it. You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Who's in charge, church? You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Man, that's some great stuff. It's so powerful when you just process everything that's going on right here and you think about this. So here are people that have lost their homes, lost their finances, lost their place, transplanted somewhere else, and Peter's saying, get ready, people are going to ask you why you got hope. <laughs> process that. You're living in such a way that people are going to say, why do you have hope? I mean, everything sucks about what just happened to you. Why do you have hope? Well, let me tell you, it's because of Jesus. This is what he's writing to the church. He's like, church, you should be always ready to give that answer. When people talk about you, they begin to ask questions about your life. You ought to be ready to explain, you know what? My life was all messed up, and then I met Jesus, and everything changed. Do you know him? Do you see how simple that was to share the gospel? This is how jacked up I was. I met Jesus. Do you know him? That's all there is. Peter said, be ready. Be ready. It's going to happen. People are going to ask you. Church, if they're not asking you, why aren't they? If we're living our life according to the word of God, as a light on a hill, as salt in life, people ought to be asking you questions about what's going on in you. They ought to be asking. Your life is supposed to be how people know Jesus is real. That's the way our life are, is supposed to be. We are supposed to live in such a way that people know Jesus is real because of us. So, as someone calls the kids up, I'm going to do our action steps. And here's what we want to do right here is, as we address the challenges of the gospel for our life. I ask you again, as I always do, church, are you a follower of Christ? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If you do not know him, please, let me introduce him to you today. I've met him. He's real. He loves you. And he is amazing. I want to introduce him to you. Before you leave, give me that opportunity. Ask the person you came with to introduce you to him. Whatever it takes, get to know Jesus before you leave. Okay? All right, the second thing is, I'm going to ask those of you that say, yes, you're following Jesus. How are you doing learning? How are you doing on your learning of your own about the teachings of Jesus Christ? How are you doing out there? I mean, if you're, are you just learning about him in church? Or are you learning about him out there? I want to know how you're learning about him. Because see, in the word of God, it does talk about small groups, home meetings, discipleship taking place outside the church. If the only discipleship you're getting is this church service, there is so much more that you need and so much available. And so that's why we've created like small groups and classes for you on Sunday and throughout the week. They're, they're on the app and the website if you want to be part of those. We're starting new home groups. We got a new one starting um, 
in Rita Ranch on September 24th, if you're in the southeast side of Tucson. Another family talked to me about the west side, and so soon we'll be having a home group start over there. Here's what I want you to hear me. If, if you feel God's stirring your heart to have a home group, then you need to talk to me, and we need to do that. And, and it's as simple as this. Why not invite a few people over for dinner, since that's what they said they did in the Bible. If you don't have food to feed them, let me know. The church isn't going to give you food. I'm going to get it for you. I'll find a way for you to have food to feed them. Have a dinner at your house, but don't just invite Christian people. Invite some people who don't know Jesus. And, and just begin to live life with them. I mean, it's the gospel. It's what it's all about. And, and so what should be happening, listen to me, according to the, the word of God, is that as we come together on Sundays, we're celebrating, we're excited when we get together because we can't wait to see the new people at church that are coming from other people's meetings and we're coming together to talk about the amazing thing God's been doing throughout the week and we're coming together to have baptism celebrations on a regular occasion because there's new people coming to Christ all the time and the church is all about celebrating all about who God is as we come together as the spirit of God moves and ignites that fire within us and we go out and there should be more home groups starting everywhere talking about Jesus, not starting your own church because I don't like that one, talking about Jesus because people need to grow in their faith. Amen? Come on, it's the Word of God. It's right there. So if you're not part of a home group, small group, some kind of study group, why not start one? Say, I don't know anything? Let me know. We'll give you a book. Growing in Christ is our very first book we use. We will buy you a copy of that for you to start with at your home group. Don't go outside of it. Just stay right there. It's easy. Anyway, let's get real practical here and ask you, when's the last time you shared a meal with another believer from this church that's not your spouse or family member? When's the last time you shared a meal with another believer from this church? Because if you look at that scripture, (laughs) yeah, you guys in the mission do that all the time, don't you? Okay, yeah, it is cheating. Uh, so when you get out, you need to keep that up, all right? But for those of you that aren't at the mission, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> when's the last time you had a meal with somebody? I mean, it doesn't have to be fancy. Come on, like, we always have excuses. Well, I can't afford to go out. Who's thinking about going out? You got to eat today. Everybody's had peanut butter and jelly at one time in their life. Say, like, guess what? I'm going to have peanut butter and jelly at the park. You want to come and be with me? Go have peanut butter and jelly. If you don't have enough for them to have, say, why don't you bring peanut butter and jelly and let's meet for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's what the church did. It's how we get to know each other. You build relationships and you pray for one another and that's how that stuff grows. You have unsaved people all around your house. You got unsaved people probably living in your house. Come on, man. What is this all about anyway? When's the last time someone asked you about your faith? I mean, you not saying a word. When is the last time someone came up to you and asked you about your faith? Peter says it's supposed to be happening, right? Be ready. It should be happening. So when's the last time that happened? If it hasn't happened, why don't you just start talking about God about that and ask him to help you that you live in such a way that people will see him in you. Here's a couple hints. Maybe you have a good attitude at work. Maybe you smile at people. Maybe you're pleasant to be around. Maybe you do stuff because you should, not because they ask you. 
Just a couple thoughts. Anyway, <laughs> would anyone ask you about your faith based on how you're currently living? The altar's always open, you know that. If you don't know Jesus, we want you to come and meet him. If you invited someone to church today and you don't know if they're saved or not, why don't you ask them right now before we leave? <laughs> they came to church. They obviously want to know something. Why not ask them if they know Jesus? And if they don't, why don't you invite them into that relationship with him right now? Seriously, like right now. Do it, man. If you do know Jesus, and you've been using excuses and maybe you've been hiding and trying to be like a chameleon Christian instead of a light. Why don't we confess that and, and repent and let's be the church that changes Tucson. Because you see, as we were looking in that book of Acts and you begin to look at it, the way that the church grew and multiplied and people were added was by people going and living their lives with other people, sharing the good news of the gospel with them, and people were getting saved on a regular basis. Father, here we are. We love you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the stirring of your spirit that is happening. God, we embrace that fully. Lord, I'm all in. I'm here. I'm yours. Do whatever you want. Help me. Help us. As we lead your church, Lord, may your church know it's all about you. God, in the name of Jesus, with the authority that you have placed inside of me as the local pastor of this congregation, I commissioned them. Lord, I release all your giftings and power in them that they might go forth as a mighty army in the city of Tucson the surrounding communities to let the people know about who you are, about how they live and what they do, how they conduct themselves, their language that has changed, their attitude that has been transformed. God, we commission them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to be the church. In Jesus' name, will you embrace that church? Amen and amen. Hey, let's go do it, man. You're dismissed. Altar's open. God bless you and thanks for being here today.